Good morning. It's good to see all of you here today. I'm a little amazed to see all of you here today. This time change thing, this, this, just, isn't, this just isn't right. You know, when Pastor Andy was deciding, you know, picking which services I was going to be preaching at, I noticed he gave me this one, all right? So I'm a little bitter about it. Uh, how many of you think Pastor Andy's doing a great job? Give him a hand. I know. Wonderful young man, couldn't be prouder of him. And so if you, my wife was asking me a question yesterday and she said, you know, what are we going to do? It was, it had to do with different events going on and, and all that. And I said, well, honey, call the lead pastor and ask him, all right? And so it's just nice to be able to say, no, ask him instead of me. And so thank you for being so very faithful to Cornerstone, to being so very kind to the staff. There are several new staff members, and you've done a great job at making them feel at home and welcome. And so for those of you in this sanctuary over in small church out on the patio, watching online, I just want you to know I, I couldn't be prouder of Cornerstone. You continue to be a wonderful group of people loving towards each other. And, and that's important because our sermon today has to do with this subject of, of what I call teaming. Teaming is the selection of who's on my team, who's not on my team. Am I on their team? Am I going to be welcome here? And so we find a passage of Scripture in John chapter 4 about Jesus encountering a Samaritan woman at the well, and we call the story the woman at the well. And so as we go through it, I'd like you to be thinking about why do you think the writer included this episode. Sometimes we get the idea as we read the Bible that, well, you know, everything Jesus said and did is in there, and that's not true. In fact, the Bible tells us that if he was to write down everything that was said and done, there wouldn't be enough room to contain it. And so we know that, no, there, there's a lot that is not included in the Bible, and so why is this episode here? Why did the writer think it was important for you to hear about this particular thing? Go ahead and open up your sermon notes in the app, and let's read from John chapter 4, beginning at verse 4 together. Now, he had to go through Samaria. In other words, Jesus is traveling, and he chose to go through Samaria because it was the short way, not the long way. So he came down to a town in Samaria called Sychar. In English, that's called, pronounced Sychar. In Hebrew, it's like Sahar, but in English, we say Sychar. Near the plot of ground, Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Now, his disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, wait a minute, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? Now, in the scripture, in the NIV, it says this, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. In other translations, they're a little more to the point. A Jew would not drink from a cup that a Samaritan had handled. And so she's saying, you would drink after me? Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, living water, we equate that with the gospel. We equate that with the good news of the kingdom of God. But at the time, living water would have meant to her moving water like in a stream. 
Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. How can you get this living water? And are you greater than our father Jacob? In other words, our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, and did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water is going to get thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst again. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up into eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now live with is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Now, notice the disciples were gone. He's having this conversation just with her. She goes and recounts the conversation to the rest of the village. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. In other words, Christ came through this line of God's people. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are a kind of worship, I'm sorry, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah called the Christ is coming. When he comes, he's going to explain all this to us. Then Jesus declared to her, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. In other words, he was letting her know, I am the Messiah, the one that you're waiting for. Now, in the book of John, the book of John breaks down into four different parts. And so there's the prologue when Pastor Andy spoke to you from John chapter 1, where he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was with God. The same was in the beginning. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made. This is part of the prologue in the book of John. The second section in the book of John, it's called the book of signs. And this is the ministry of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, and importantly, the miracles of Jesus. And so we go from that, that, that prologue into the book of signs, and then we go into the book of glory. The glory includes the passion and resurrection of Jesus. When we use the term passion in church, we're not talking about how a guy thinks, you know, that girl is really hot. That's not the kind of passion we're talking about. When we use the word passion in uh, biblical terms, what we're talking about is the beatings, the crucifixion, the loss of life where Jesus lays down his life. This is called the passion of Christ. You may remember that movie from several years ago that was so difficult to watch, but that word passion in that context is about the killing of Jesus. And then we come past the book of, of glory, which is the, the, the passion and resurrection, to the conclusion and epilogue. And it's not very long in the book of John, but it breaks down into those four parts. What I want you to know is right now in chapter four, we are in the second part of the book of John. We are in the book of signs. This will be teaching, this will be ministry, this will be miracles taking place during this time. As we read that chapter, where it, how does it fit in ministry, miracles, or signs? It's in Jesus telling her, I know who you are. Friends, isn't it common how that we all have things in our background that we kind of hope everybody forgets? 
We have things that we hope nobody knows about. We have things that we, we've done in the past that we just kind of hang our head and, you know, we, we may not try and hide it, but when we say it, yeah, the, the, this happened in the past or I, I did this in the past. Those, we have those things in our lives and in our families. Jesus is telling her, I know who you are. I know where you've been. I know what you've done, even though I've never met you before. Friends, this, this particular passage is about this weird interaction that takes place between a Samaritan woman with what we used to call a checkered past. In other words, things that she was embarrassed of. The Samaritan woman and Jesus who came from, the, from this long line of Jews. Take a look in your notes with me on your phone. Number one, picking teams. Teaming is a constant phenomenon. Teaming, it's the rapid decision-making process of who's on my team, who's not on my team, and what teams I belong to. In other words, it's about deciding who is my in-group and who is my out-group. Now, you walk into a church. You walk into a church and you look around and you, it's your first day there and you're trying to decide, hmm, am I going to be welcome here? And there's all kinds of things that make us feel welcome or not welcome when a person walks into a church. When I was a kid, I remember my mom and dad they, uh, took my brother and I. My dad wanted to hear a particular speaker that was speaking in San Diego. Now, I grew up in Orange County. And in Orange County, the particular part I grew up in, it was probably about... I don't know, it was probably about 50, 60% white and 40 or 50% Hispanic. But at the time, that was just normal for me in my class. You know, my, all my friends were, you know, to be candid, until sixth grade, I didn't know that we weren't all the same. It was in sixth grade that they explained to us that we weren't. But in Orange County, having grown up around all white and Hispanic, that just seemed normal to us. But we didn't have hardly any black families in the area that I lived in. In fact, all through elementary school, there was just David and his sister. They were the only two black kids in our school. And, you know, it was probably 40% Hispanic. The rest were white. And, you know, there was David and his sister. And I can't remember his sister's name. She was younger. But David was in my class. And we went through two or three years together. And the family moved away. And so, you know, growing up as a kid, we weren't around a lot of black families. And so dad took my brother and I and my mom. We went down to San Diego. And we went to what you would call a black church. And, you know, I didn't know we were going to a black church. And at that age, I was just a little guy. I don't know that I would really thought, would have thought much about it. But he wanted to hear a speaker. And I remember the speaker's name because I thought it was just an absolutely weird name. It was this pastor named Linfield Crowder. And friends, when the lottery of names came up, this guy lost, okay? Linfield Crowder. But dad wanted to hear him speak. And so I remember walking in there. And, you know, we walked in. And as a little kid, I looked around. And I'd grown up in church. But, you know, growing the church, I looked around, and, and everybody looked different than I did. Now, the people who were there, they made us feel so welcome. I mean, they brought us, I mean, they, they, just, they were just so kind, and they were so loving. Within a few minutes, you felt welcome, no matter who you were or what you looked like. And, you know, that's kind of an obvious example where you walk in, and you see people that look physically different than you. 
Like you walk into an area, I went to a church one time and I walked in with two or three staff members and I realized, dude, we are not in the right place because I, I went in, I was probably 35 at the time and there wasn't anybody over 20 years old in this particular church service. It was a church service at nine o'clock on Sunday night. And I thought that makes sense. The only people still awake at nine o'clock on Sunday night are 20 year olds. And so, you know, but I went in there and, and, and I, I felt like I, I, I was different, all right? Anytime we walk into some place and perceive ourselves as different, that teaming process starts. Am I welcome on this team? Am I welcome here? Are they on my team? Am I on their team? That's a process that goes on pretty much everywhere you go, whether it's a restaurant, whether it's driving down the street. And please, I, I, don't, wanna, I don't wanna sound all religious on you because I am driving down the street. Since I wrote this message, I'm driving down the street saying, nope, not on my team. Okay, might be on my team. I drive by and see someone with a sign on the corner. Sorry, not on my team, okay? In other words, I just, I, I just have been hyper aware of this over these last few days. And it comes from this scripture because the, you notice what this woman says to her in just the first few sentences. I'm a Jew, you're a Samaritan. The teeming process was taking place. Friends, the, it, teeming is incredibly contextual. In other words, I come here on Sunday morning, and to be honest, no matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, no matter how rich you are, no matter how poor you are, whether you are a person of color or, or pale like me, whoever you are, man, you know, I, I walk up here and you're on my team. I'm on your team. You walk outside and you see people and you say hi to them, even if you've never met. In other words, you come here and, and everybody's on your team. And so someone who's on my team here, I say it's contextual because they... They might not be on my team everywhere. So, well, Pastor Ron, you know, that, that's, just, that's just kind of unloving. Friends, wait a second. Let, let's, not, let's not look at the right or wrong of this. Let's start off looking at the reality of this. There are times when people are here and they're on my team, but in another context, they might not be on my team. In other words, I might not feel comfortable striking up a conversation with them. The Debbie, you know, a lot of times she asked me kind of, I'll be honest, she asked me kind of silly questions because every day I try and get up and I go to the gym. Now, as I've told you before, I haven't lost any weight, but I can pick up a small car, all right? And so, you know, I do enjoy going. And, you know, Debbie asked me, because I get up and I try and go pretty much every day. And so she asked me, well, you know, honey, have you made friends there? <laughs> and I looked at her and I thought, okay, well, Friends? What are, you, what are you talking about? She said, well, you go out there every day about the same time. You know, have you, have you met any people? I said, honey, I don't talk to anybody, okay? And I started thinking about that, and it's not completely true. The, I walk in, and to be honest, a lot of people immediately, now picture yourself going there and tell me who would be on your team. In other words, who would you feel comfortable talking to? I walk in there and to be honest, you know, the, the young, really muscular guys, I've noticed young muscular guys in a gym, they all walk kind of funny. It's, it really reminds me of Popeye. I don't know why. Now, I would never say that to them because they might beat me up, but they're not really on my team, okay? Now, old people like me, when we go to the gym, I know you picture, you know, someone you know, lifting all these heavy weights. Old people like me, when we go to the gym, they, I, I go there and there are some mats over there and I like them because when I'm tired, I can just lay down. But you know, I'll, I'll, because old people like me, we, we need to stretch. 
And you know, I, I, a couple days ago, I, I went there and you know, I, I'm stretching and the, this, this young, attractive woman comes and she lays down on the mat right beside me. I'm thinking to myself, sister, you need to move down. She was not on my team. Yeah, you say, oh, Ron, you know, she, she was like a pretty good, yeah, but my wife doesn't want her on my team, okay? And so, so I sat there a minute and she was, you know, I think, I'm leaving, all right? And so I got up and I left, all right? She wasn't on my team. You know, and so it's really specific on my team. And I figured out, finally, Debbie was asking me and I was thinking about it. And so I said, honey, there, there are some people I talk to. It's not about, it's not about socioeconomic level. It's not about color of skin. It's not, the people I find myself talking to is the old guys we talk. And so, you know, whether they're black or white or Hispanic or whatever, whoever, we can talk. Whether they're rich or poor, we, we can talk. In other words, old guys at a gym, we can talk, but we don't talk to any of the younger guys. All right, we, we just don't because they're just, they're just kind of, they're not on my team. So, Pastor Ron, this all sounds very unloving. This is why we're talking about it. We have a problem. This woman sees Jesus, he talks to her, and she said to him, you're not on my team. And Jesus goes on talking to her anyway. Look in your sermon notes with me for just a minute. We pretend that teaming, this deciding who's on my team, who's not on my team, am I welcome here, am I gonna be an outsider here? We pretend that all of this is intellectual, excuse me, intellectual or spiritual. The, friends, you need to know that's not really true. Teaming is visceral. It takes place down here, and then oftentimes we find a reason for it. When people talk about these kinds of things, they want to believe that reasons lead to feelings. A lot of times in marriage, when there are serious problems going on, people will talk about their reasons. And whenever I have been forced into meeting with a couple having marital problems, and I say forced because I'm really bad at it. I mean, I am bad. I'm sitting there the whole time thinking, you're just both crazy, okay? You're just crazy. That is not a good thought for a counselor to have, and so I try not to do it. But people are always trying to explain the reasons of why they have these feelings. And so most of the time I'll stop them and I'll say, tell me what your feelings are. And then if you wanna talk about some reasons you attach to it, okay. But when it comes to teaming, feelings almost always come first. We don't walk into a, a place and say, well, you know, these people are an average of 8.3 years older than I am. They are from an upper economic uh, socioeconomic level, they are, they are this, I don't think I feel welcome. No, we walk in and we feel first and then we attach reasons to it. The reasons don't lead to the feelings. No, the feelings lead to the reasons. Friends, we can come up with all kinds of reasons why we need to separate from other people, why we can't talk to that one, why we can't be friendly to that one, why we can't make that one feel welcome. We can come up with all the reasons in the world and then say, well, that's why I feel that way. No, we feel it and we attach reasons. When this woman was approached by Jesus, or I'm sorry, as she approached him sitting by the well and he began to talk to her, she immediately had some feelings. And then she shared, well, these are the reasons for these feelings. 
Friends, what the scripture teaches is that the feelings were there first. Look in your notes with me. Number four, I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew. Jews and Samaritans all worshiped God. In other words, they worshiped Yahweh. They worshiped the same God. They would have acknowledged, a Jew would have said, yes, a Samaritan worships the same God. A Samaritan would have acknowledged a Jew worships the same God. But they had differences of doctrine. A Samaritan only believed in the first five books or the Pentateuch or Torah of the Old Testament Hebrew scriptures. And so they, they wouldn't refer to it as Old Testament. They'd refer to it as Hebrew scriptures. They would only believe in the first five books, whereas the Jews had all of the, the major and the minor prophets and the books of poetry, the books of Psal, book of Psalms. In other words, they had a greater expanse of scripture as a Jew than the Samaritans had. So there was that difference of doctrine. There was a difference of opinion on the place of worship. The Samaritans had the place they thought they should worship. The Jews said, no, we should we do our worship in Jerusalem. And there were a lot of old hurts. There was one point in scripture where the Samaritans offered their help and the Jews rejected it and the Samaritans were offended by that. And that offense they carried with them for a very long time. And so this animosity had become settled. There was open animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans at that time. Look at letter B with me. Christian history, we followed the very same pattern. In other words, it's one, re, one thing to look at them and say, well, you know, they, they all were worshiping the same God. They should have gotten along. Friends, the, our history looks a lot like theirs. All right, we've got the... This division that takes place in 1054, this is the split between what's now referred to as, the, or at that time referred to as the Roman Catholic Church and the Eastern Orthodox Church. This goes along for several hundred years and then it's gonna split into the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church. That's gonna happen around 1517. Then we're going to see a split here around 1530, this one's harder to date, that around 1530 between the Catholic Church and what would now be referred to as the Anglican Church or at that time the Church of England. Uh, this was when uh, King Henry VIII just couldn't keep a wife around. They kept getting upset and losing their heads. And then the Protestants, some of you will get that later. All right, the Protestants, they just can't get along. I, I mean, if you look at Protestant denominations, we fill half the phone book all by ourselves, okay? You know, we've got Baptist, Nazarene, Pentecostals. We've got about 18 different flavors of Baptist. We've got probably 25 flavors of Pentecostal. I, I mean, we are, we are the, the, we make 31 flavors look like a good start, okay? In other words, it's one of those things that, that our history looks like that too. And, and you know, it, it's kind of it's weird how so much of these splits were over different doctrines, kind of Samaritans had that with the Jews, but it wasn't all over doctrine. Sometimes it was, sometimes it was over race. Sometimes it was over national boundaries. In fact, over on this side, I don't wanna fail to pick on them if I'm picking on everyone else. The Eastern Orthodox Church is now up to 14 different branches of the Eastern Orthodox Church. A lot of those had to do with nationalism, different countries that split up. And so the church split also in our own history in the United States, splitting of denominations between North and South during our civil war. 
uh, in the late 1800s, the, the birth of the uh, African Methodist Episcopalian Church, the over-discriminatory practices within the body of Christ. I mean, all of these different things have gone on. We can look at this woman and Jesus and say, well, you know, those Jews and those Samaritans, they need to learn to get along. But the truth of the matter is all of our Christian history looks very similar to their history. Look at what's next in your notes. I've watched, in letter C under number four, I've watched this kind of spiritual teeming and fragmenting all of my life. The, the truth of the matter is, when I was a kid, people were always fragmenting over things like eternal security, the, over uh, different view, uh, reading of the scripture, over the literal versus the figurative of different things in the Bible. They were always, always splitting over those kinds of things within a, lot of, uh, within a large section of Protestantism, there were all kinds of splits over what gifts of the Spirit were still in operation today. And it, it you know, kind of ran the, the, the gambit from, you know, all the way, uh, Baptists didn't believe any of those gifts were in operation today. The to Pentecostals that, you know, they had all the gifts of the Spirit that they felt were in operation. And I grew up in a Pentecostal church. We made up some of our own. I, I mean, it was just the, that whole spectrum there. Friends, the, this this type of fragmenting, I've watched it go on all of my life. In the last several years, in fact, during my 30 years of ministry, I've noticed that, that we, we've had, a, had an additional type of fragmenting, political fragmenting within the body of Christ. Of, well, if you think that, I, 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 just, I just couldn't worship with you. Friends, I, I look at this story of the, of the Samaritan woman and Jesus, and I I look at them and I say, well, you know, at least they had some differences about Scripture. They had some differences about doctrine. They had some differences about worship. But we look at the fragmenting that goes on within the body of Christ today, and it's over issues of politics. It's over issues of, of all kinds of things that 50 years ago we would have looked at that and thought that it was strange, and now it's become commonplace. Friends, this, this teeming idea, I know it's a natural phenomenon, but it runs counter to what the Scripture teaches when we see someone who is the same or older or younger or different in some way that, than we are. The Scripture is teaching us that Jesus saw beyond the teeming that takes place. And I'm not saying that we make a decision to dislike someone. I'm not saying we make a decision, well, you know, that person. I'm not saying, I'm saying Jesus comes and in the face of this, this visceral gut level reaction that this woman has of saying, you know what? I'm not on your team. How can you even talk to me? That in the face of that, Jesus responds, young lady, you shouldn't have asked me that. You should have asked me for more. And this woman doesn't understand at first, but before this encounter is over, she will. She simply asks him, would you drink from my cup? Now, I know that we live in an age of having gone through a pandemic, but before the age of COVID, before the age and recognition of germs, a Jew would not have drank from the cup of a Samaritan, even though they had absolutely no concept of disease, germs, none of that. 
they wouldn't have drank from the cup because now it was ceremonially unclean. What had touched their hands would not touch theirs. What had touched their lips would not touch theirs. It wasn't because they were afraid of germs. You know, they, my wife and I, they, we'll go to a restaurant and she'll pick up my glass and drink out of my glass. And I say, what are you doing? I'm getting all of your germs, okay? Now, friends, you need to know I've gotten a lot of her germs in a lot of other ways, okay? And so, you know, but she'll pick, and it'll kind of freak me out. What are you doing drinking out of my glass, all right? Or my wife will eat out of my plate. How many of you are married to a woman who will eat out of your plate? I mean, this is just not right. This is my plate, my food. The, a few minutes ago, it was their food, but now it's mine. Can't stay out of my plate, all right? And so, you know, the, the, before COVID, before germs, this woman asked him, you would drink from a cup I held, a cup I drank from? And she was shocked by it. She was scandalized by the idea that Jesus would, would get that close. Back at your notes with me for just a moment. This wasn't just any Samaritan woman. She was a Samaritan woman who needed to draw water at noon. Why was she drawing water at noon? It wasn't the custom to draw water in the heat of the day. She's drawing water at noon because she has a past. She's avoiding the other women of the village. That's what women did as they went in the late afternoon in the cool of the evening and they would draw water for that evening and the next day. But she's out there in the hot sun drawing water because she didn't want to run into any of them. They knew her past because she had lived among them. Jesus knew her past because he was there as her savior. In these first few chapters of John, I told you we have to ask the question, why is this here? If you look at the episodes the writer chose, here's what he chooses. He chooses Jesus reaching an Orthodox Jew. He chooses Jesus reaching a Samaritan, and not just any Samaritan, a Samaritan with a past that she was embarrassed by. It talks about the, a social outcast. It talks about a prostitute. It talks about a tax collector. It talks about all of these different people that Jesus reached out to that we might walk in and say, hmm, I don't know about that not on my team. And that's exactly what happened. The Pharisees would walk in and they'd look at who Jesus was eating with. They said, there's a tax collector there. That guy's not on my team. There's a sinner there. They're certainly not on my team. That woman there that, that, that is anointing him with oil, does he know her past? Because she's not on my team. Friends, Jesus is sitting there. He reaches out to her. She says, how can you even talk to me? I, I, I'm, I'm not on your team. And he says, you're asking me the wrong question. You're asking me these things when what you ought to be asking me for is the living water that I can give you. Jesus walks into this place. He walks into the gym. He walks into our community. He walks into the restaurant. He walks into your neighborhood. And the Jew and the Gentile and the Samaritan woman and the fallen woman, and the social outcast, and the poor, and the rich, they are all a part of his team. He came to the world. The entire world is invited to be a part of his team. We should have two reactions to that. 
The first is we should have a reaction of gratitude that Jesus makes us a part of him. And the second reaction is who are you and I looking at? And before we even think about it, before anything, even any reasons come to our mind, we're just stepping aside a little. Well, they're not really on my team. And I know you might not say it, but there are people who've reached out to you. They're not quite on my team. Say, Pastor Ron, you know, kind of, when you go to the gym, you kind of sound a little unfriendly. Friends, yeah, I am. And it, it, there's, there's a lot of stuff I could give you as far as reasons and all that, but to be honest, I'm just not comfortable talking to strangers. I, I, I struggle with it. But Jesus invites the introvert onto his team. He invites the extrovert that just can't shut up onto his team. Do, do you guys know what a close talker is? Raise your hand if you know what a close talker is. He invites close talkers onto his team. They are not on my team. <laughs> but he welcomes them. I don't know about you, but I'm a lot more like the Samaritan woman than I am Jesus. Now, I, I haven't had five marriages, five relationships. I'm not shacking up. Not, not, I don't have that, but I have my stuff that I'm ashamed of, that I'm embarrassed by. And you do too. And Jesus comes up and says, can I have a drink? You say, you would drink from a cup that I've handled? He says, yeah, and more than that, I've got something I want to give you. Bow your heads with me for just a moment. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would give us a sense of gratitude that the tall and the short and the black and the white and the brown and every other color that we are on your team, that Lord Jesus, we don't have to be a, a certain socioeconomic level. We can't be too rich, too poor to be welcome on your team. Lord Jesus, we're grateful that you see beyond all of the things that our human nature looks at. I'm grateful that you see beyond it and you reach out with a call to the world saying, come and see. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you welcomed us. God, I pray that, that you would, through your Holy Spirit, open our hearts towards others that we might see them as you see them, as your children, some who have gone astray and you are calling home, some who've already been welcomed home. Lord Jesus, we ask these things in your name. Amen. Stand with me over in small church. Stand with me. I love you an awful lot. It's my privilege to come and speak to you.